Amen. I like preaching for the single sake of the fact that I like it when Dustin leads music. I don't get to hear him play that often, but I love hearing him play. And I, he's not my boss, so technically... Actually, no, he is my boss. So I, I'm earning brownie points. We're good. <laughs> um, open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to run into anyone. Okay. Um, Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at what I'm calling uh, Jesus' sermon to the farmers. Now, it's not actually a bunch of farmers that Jesus was preaching to, but it's just that the parables all relate to, uh, in some way, farming or planting and harvesting the crops as well. So uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be starting at verse 1 and 2, and then jumping down to verse 30. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that had gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teachings said, and jump to verse 30 here, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? Is it like a mustard seed? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted... It grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. The parable of the mustard seed is the last of three parables that Jesus gives in talking about what it's like to follow Jesus and what it's like, what the kingdom of God is like. And he starts with the parable of the sower, and Dustin preached on this back in January, uh, where the farmer scatters seed, and some of it falls upon the path, uh, where birds come and peck up the seeds. Uh, And then some of the seed is scattered upon thorny soil, uh, where the weeds choke out the seed so it doesn't grow. Uh, And some of the seed, as the farmer's scattering it, falls upon rocks, and so it doesn't grow because there's no soil there, no life for it to spring up. And finally, the fourth type of soil is uh, that which falls into good soil and produces an actual crop and grows. Um, So there's the first story or the parable of the sower. The second parable uh, is more of just an analogy he shares of a lamp being on a stand and how we are not supposed to judge others because our actions will all be brought into the light, a good reminder for us. Uh, Then Jesus goes on to the parable of the growing seed, and it's just kind of an odd parable where Jesus says, yeah, this farmer threw some seed in the ground, and it grew. And it grew at first as a stalk, then as a head, then kernels grew until it was ready for harvesting. Uh, And finally, he finishes with the parable of the mustard seed. Now, these three parables are meant to be read together, uh, just like the three parables Jesus talks about with the lost coin, uh, the lost son, and the lost sheep. Uh, They all relate to the same message that Jesus is trying to get across. These three parables all relate to the same thing. They all portray what it is like to follow Jesus. They all talk about the same thing. Now, today's kind of a difficult message to look at, and it's not because the parable is confusing, not because um, it's hard to understand or that it doesn't make sense, but that here Jesus shows us the truth. Because here, it's almost like Jesus is taking a a flashlight, a spotlight, and pointing it directly at the truth so that we can't get out of the fact that that is truth. We can't try and darken it. 
And the reality of what it looks like to follow him, Jesus is showing us this and what it takes to do that as well. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, beginning in September, uh, we've been going through with our youth a series called Freedom. Okay, no one yelled it out. Oh, yeah, I saw it. Oh, it was close. Uh, sorry, every, every single time we've been going through our sermon series, at the very beginning, I yell them, what's our sermon series? And then everyone yells out like in Braveheart, freedom. It's my favorite part of youth. Uh, it's fantastic. But one thing that I encourage the youth to do again and again is to seek the truth. Because a lot of what culture and what media are trying to tell us is their version of the truth. Culture will tell us that the truth of life is that we, you know, we need to become successful in our jobs. And as long as we have enough money to save up for retirement, um, and the more wealth you have, the better off you are. Uh, now, media tells us that if we buy certain products or if we follow certain trends, then we're going to be accepted by everyone and loved by all. And we can listen to the truth of what media and culture tells us, but it's not reality. It's not truth in reality. Because if we seek truth by believing what Jesus has told us in the Bible, and by having a relationship with him through prayer, we can know the truth. And not only the real truth that we can rely on and trust in is, is in Jesus. That's the only real truth that we can come to. He is unchanging, a truth that doesn't shift throughout time. He's reliable, a truth that we can build the foundation of our lives upon. And he is the truth, the only reality that actually matters. Every other idea of what truth is, is simply a justification or a distraction from what the truth really is. Or sometimes it's just a justification to live in the way that we want to, or maybe even the way other people want us to live. Jesus is the truth. And the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus uh, gives the truth of how the kingdom of God lives out in those who receive his message. He, he's literally telling us parables of what happens when people hear the good news, the gospel. Now, if you look throughout the gospel, um, all of what Jesus said, uh, and at his messages, um, and Dustin spoke on this again when he preached on the parable of the sower, but whenever Jesus preached to the crowds and groups of people, he always talked in parables or talked about really confusing and ambiguous things. Uh, he, would, he would tell the people the message in a very confusing way. Uh, I'll just give you a few examples of that. John 6, Jesus says to the thousands, the Bible records that had gathered, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says very simply, uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. In Luke 14, when a crowd gathered uh, that was following Jesus, he turned around and said, if anyone comes to me does not hate his father or mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, before Jesus was even crucified on the cross, before people knew that that has, was how he was going to die, he turned around to those following him and said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. He uses this language that's 
confusing and these analogies that are really weird and ambiguous, like I said at times, it's almost as if Jesus doesn't want these people to follow him. Now, that's not true. Uh, We know uh, in in Peter that God wants all to come to repentance and to turn to him. But it does seem almost as though he's making it purposefully difficult to follow him. Almost purposefully difficult. Because Jesus both taught the crowds, he healed them of their sicknesses and led them out of their blindness, and at the same time made his message to them very confusing and hard to actually understand. And I argue he did this because it actually is difficult to follow Jesus. And so it's, it's almost like Jesus saying difficult things, weeding out those who won't actually do what he says. In one parable, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to build the tower? For if he lays the foundation and he is not able to finish, everyone who sees him will ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I always find that one a little interesting because they're not really ridiculing him. They're just saying, this man began to build and he couldn't finish. It's pretty straightforward. Um, But anyway, Jesus made it difficult for the crowds to follow him so they'd actually consider if they were willing to give up the things it took in order to follow him. Just like the, the rich young ruler who turned away after Jesus asked him to give up his wealth, Jesus right away asks us to realize what we have to give up in order to follow him if we choose to believe in him. Now, uh, the sermon today, I don't want to focus too much on counting the cost of, of following Jesus. We'll touch on that. But I want to focus on where you are at in your process of transformation. What part of the journey is Jesus taking you through right now? In the parable of the sower, we're given four different types of soil or or four different types of people who hear Jesus' message and what their response is to him. So the first are those who hear Jesus' word uh, for those who hear the gospel but don't do anything about it. They walk away. Uh, This would be pretty much the world as we know it. Uh, where a lot of people know about Jesus or have heard stories or uh, the good news even, but they choose not to do anything with it. The second are, are people who believe what Jesus says and are excited about the good news, but when the hard work of transformation comes, when it actually requires us to give up the things in life that Jesus requires of us, they, they give up their belief instead. Uh, The third are people who believe in what Jesus says, uh, but only live for their desires. And so the things in their life that they want and their desires in life choke out their faith, and they're no longer able to live for their faith. They live for their desires. And the fourth are the people who believe what Jesus says, put it into practice in their lives, and see fruit come out of that. So what does the soil of your own heart look like? Or, or just to take away the analogy of the, or the language of the analogy, uh, how are you responding to Jesus' message? If we come back to the parable of the mustard seed, it's as if Jesus' message to repent and believe the good news is, is like him giving us a mustard seed. Every time we hear the good news, it's almost as though we're given this seed, and it's up to us to choose what we're going to do with that. Are we going to take it and plant that seed? Or are we going to hang on to it and then you know, walk outside and chuck it in the rocks there so it doesn't actually do anything in our lives? 
Every time we hear what Jesus is speaking to us, we have an opportunity to let that seed grow within us, to plant it. But there are difficulties in the way. But we must be the ones to make the choice to plant that seed. Jesus simply offers it to us. In verse 32, Jesus says, when planted, it grows to become one of the largest garden plants. When planted. What are you doing with your seed that Jesus has given you? And what does the planting process look like? Because I don't want this to be a sermon that's very vague and hard to understand. I want to make it real and tangible. In John 12, 24, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It requires us to die to ourselves. That's not much help, Scott, in understanding this. That's still an analogy. Um, I'll explain that in a little bit here too. But if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or I would even encourage you, if you've been struggling to follow Jesus, if you're not sure what that looks like, uh, I just want to offer you some encouragement. Jesus offers freedom from the things in life that enslave us. He offers us life and fullest of life to the capacity of what he can offer, the creator. In, In John 8, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then the truth will be in you, and the truth will set you free. Jesus offers freedom and life to all, but we have to be the ones to accept it. We have to respond to his message. Following Jesus requires us to die to ourselves, and it means giving up the things like our desires. It means giving up things like our own plans or goals or our achievements. It means giving up our identity. For some the cost is too high. And, and many aren't willing to follow it because it means giving up the things that we've been running to to give you meaning in life. It means giving up the things that you, you run to for comfort or peace when your day was difficult. It means giving up the things that we think help take the edge off of life when it piles up and we don't know how to accomplish all of our tasks. It means giving up the anger that we hold on to for others because they've hurt us, so we make rude or snide comments to them. And even though these things might seem to give us temporary relief, or they do in fact give us temporary relief, we keep running back to them. And it's, it's almost like a band-aid covering over this gaping wound in ourselves that it's not doing anything, it's covering over, it's giving somewhat temporary relief, making it look like we're doing something. But in reality... It just becomes more and more difficult. And the only freedom we can find is running to Jesus and allowing him to transform us and set us free. We need to die to ourselves in order to allow Jesus to set us free. I just want to share a quick quote with you from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, And in this, he's talking about the transformation process, what it means to die to ourselves. He says... It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives over to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. It may be a death like that of Luther's who had to leave his monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. 
death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man and his call. Jesus summons to the rich young man, or Jesus' summons to the rich young man was calling him to die because only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. In, every, in fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. But we do not want to die. And therefore, Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. It's difficult to follow Jesus and his calling to die to ourselves in, in hopes that the plan he has will help grow us and transform us into something much more incredible than we can even imagine. And it's the only way to live in reality and fullness of life, only way to live in the truth. Now, the good news is that you can't do this on your own. That's the good news. Uh, that might seem a bit discouraging, but it's impossible for us. We can't do it on our own. And that is part of the purpose. God wants to realize in us or help us realize that we need him. We can't pull ourselves out of the problems and pits that we get stuck in in life. We need Jesus. And all we can do is recognize that he is the one to take us out of that. He is the one in control. And all we can do is ask him earnestly for the things we need as we walk along the road of dying to ourselves. And the process of transformation is difficult. And it often feels like our very selves are getting chafed away. Now, Jesus renews and transforms us. And like I said, the process is difficult. The old parts of ourselves die to the new growth that God wants to do in us. Now, one thing I often forget in this process is that it's a journey. Um, I too often forget that the parable of the growing seed is about the process of faith. After it is buried in the earth, it slowly transforms. First, it grows with the stalk, then the head, then the kernels. Now, when we die to ourselves, it takes time for, for what Jesus wants to see in us to grow and transform us into the person he's created us to be. We're not made perfect right off the bat. It's a messy process. But Jesus steps into that mess with us to transform us and continues working with us until we are like the masterpiece that he desires to see. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Jesus to do good works. God is working on us. And, and with any good creation, it takes time to make it exactly as the creator desires it to be. And as Jesus remakes us, we have to be careful not to fall back into the old patterns and habits of our lives. The parable of the sower is a warning to keep on the path of Jesus. He is set before us and not to become distracted by the other things in life. We still have to fight the temptations of the different soils. The, the seed on the path where evil tempts us to give up what Jesus has spoken to us. We still have to fight the voice that tells us it's all right to judge that person because they're a little funny looking or they made a comment about us. We still have to fight the voice that encourages us to justify our problems instead of changing them and being willing to seek help. We have to listen to the voice of Jesus and don't become distracted. Or, or fighting the temptation of the rocky soil that tries to drown out our faith. When, when everything in your day seems to be going wrong and you just can't seem to catch a break, it'd be a little better or it would feel at least nice to turn to that thing that would ease your pain. Or when faced with the temptation to sacrifice your morals in one circumstance because 
it's my birthday and I can do what I want just on this day, right? We still have to fight the temptation from people who encourage us to stay where we're at instead of growing. Or we have to face the temptations and fight against the process of the thorny soil. Uh, It looks like fighting against the worries that tell us that we're not going to have enough money at the end of the month, so we need to do something else. It can look like fighting the temptation to cheat on our taxes or fill the void that you're feeling by purchasing something that might give you momentary happiness. Fighting the thorny soil can be even fighting our own desires and our goals, the ones where we hold back from giving because we want to make sure we have enough to retire with. And as Jesus transforms us, we continue to face the temptations of the different types of soil. I wish it would be that you know, we're made perfect and we never have to face those temptations again. Uh, but in the parable of the sower, Jesus uses the analogy of a bird pecking away at the seed uh, to symbolize Satan's attempts to take away God's word working within us. And in the parable of the mustard seed, because these parables relate to each other, um, Jesus says that the mustard tree grows to the point where it can even support these and harbor these evil birds that once used to peck away at our souls, at the goodness that God wanted to do in us. Now, that's an encouragement, uh, because not only can Jesus take something so small within us and transform it into something great and make and renew in us to see what he wants to see in us, but he can also help us grow to the place where the evils in life that used to have hold over us no longer can where we can find freedom from the evil that once tried to take away our faith. So, how has Jesus asked you to die to yourself today? I don't want to make this, uh, you know, where are you at in the course of life? What about just this day? Where are you at in the transformation process? Now, sometimes in life it is hard to tell what Jesus is doing. Uh, Sometimes it can be confusing to follow God because you don't know where he's working in your life this day. Um, I just want to give you guys some helpful, maybe guidance factors in this. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul gives us a list of nine different characteristics uh, that are evidence of Jesus working within us. These are called the fruits of the Spirit, if you've uh, heard of them before. Uh, And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yes, I do have to sing that song in my head every time I recite those, otherwise I won't remember Uh, But if you're not sure what Jesus is working on you or working in you and through you, start with those nine characteristics. If you felt a dry season where you don't know what God is doing or even what he's trying to do, look to the fruits of the Spirit. Which of these fruits are you struggling with? Which of these traits are you having a difficulty with today? Are you having a hard time being patient? Then recognize it in yourself. Be honest and bring that to God and ask him for the help you need to be patient with those difficult people. Or have you noticed yourself being rude or condescending with people? Then ask God to help you be gentle with others, to love them well. Uh, It also works on the other way, if you, uh, in another way, if if you perhaps notice the fruits of the Spirit that Jesus has been working in you. Uh, Maybe you've noticed times where um, you've had self-control in a moment where you really usually don't. We can thank God for those times. Uh, Or have you recognized the deep joy in Jesus in a time where you shouldn't be feeling joyful? Give thanks to God for the way he's working within you. You won't be able to be perfect at these nine traits right off the bat. It's a journey. It's a process. It always is. 
Now, as long as you're walking in the right direction. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. As long as you're walking in the right direction, Jesus will continue to transform and grow in you until you become the masterpiece that he's created you to be. Father, we thank you this morning for the fact that you will continue the work that you began in us. We thank you that you have made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have freedom from the things in life that enslave us. And God, we thank you that you've made the path available to us to follow you. We ask that you would help us just this day to keep our eyes set on you, to, to know, God, where you are leading, what you are working, and help us to see, God, what you are doing so that we might get on board with that process. God, we thank you that you are ultimately the one to transform us that we can't even do this process in and of ourselves. We need you, God. Help us to realize our deep need for you, God. And out of that, allow us to follow you. Allow us to love others well. Uh, but God, for this day, we ask for your strength. Help us this day just to be more like you.